then again, the podcast at the Northeast Georgia History Center. I am Marie Bartlett, and I am the director of the Ada May Ivester Education Center here. And today I have with me Leslie Jones, the Collections and Archives Manager here at the History Center, who has just recently completed her master's thesis on the domestic seance in Victorian London. So congratulations again on that accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So how did you choose the subject to write your thesis on? So believe it or not, I actually started with Cornelius Vanderbilt. So um, he went to Victoria Woodhull that we've talked about before in past podcasts. Um, she went to him as a magnetic healer to cure his syphilis, which, spoilers, did not work. <laughs> but she used spiritualism. So that's where it started was I was just really curious about spiritualism from Cornelius Vanderbilt project I was doing. Oh, interesting. So can you give our listeners a little bit of a background of what is spiritualism? So it's communicating with the dead. And believe it or not, it was not something scary. It was not talking to demons and, you know, evil spirits. It was talking to loved ones, communicating with people who had passed, like, husbands and wives and children, stuff like that. So what is the focus of your thesis? Like, What's your thesis statement? So my thesis is about the domestic seance. The domestic seance is different than a public seance um, in a lot of different ways, and I go into that with the different chapters in my thesis. But the most important thing is that the domestic seance, it's kind of like free reign. In a public seance, they have to keep up with the morals and etiquette and rules of the Victorian period. With a domestic seance, everything is off the table. It's basically the second they get in a seance, there's no rules. There was sexual impropriety. There was no etiquette. It was the way the spirit wanted things to go. Women and men sat the way the spirit wanted, not the way that normal men and women sat, things like that. It was just completely different than a normal setting. Interesting. So why did you choose to focus on the seance at home rather than the public seance? I thought it was much more interesting that there was a different aspect to it. I didn't know that there was two differences, but once I started reading into it, I thought it was really interesting that there was a different aspect to it. And also, I liked that through my research, I found that there were more men than women that were in the domestic sphere, at least in the London seances, that were in the domestic sphere. So how did you choose London specifically to dig into your research? I'm, I'm sure... I at some point you have to kind of create a, a perimeter for your research. Otherwise, it just goes so, so far beyond what you could fit into yeah. a paper. So how did you choose London specifically for that? Yeah, so first my thesis advisor and I, Dr. Gertie, hey, Dr. Gertie, we both decided to do England, and then I thought, that's a little too broad. So then we wanted to go with Britain. That was still a little too big for just a, a master's thesis. So I decided to do London because that had the most sources that I could use. Doing a thesis during COVID time was really tough, and I knew that there would be enough sources online that I could use um, with London newspapers. Very cool. Very cool. So how did you go about doing some of this research? Whew. So one of, the, one of the things we did was I worked with Marie. We worked on doing fashion. There's a chapter I uh, went through 
the beginnings of a seance and the end. So what happens when someone is invited to a seance to what happens when someone comes back and thanks them for going to a seance. So I talked to you about what would they wear at a seance? What, what would a man and a woman wear to a typical seance? And we decided that it's basically like a dinner party. Right. And, and they wore things like that. And it was in the 1870s setting. So that was really fun. That was a lot of fun. I loved going through that with you. It was a lot of fun. And we got to look at a lot of really pretty dresses. Yeah. Yeah. And we got to do a bunch of magazines, too, in my thesis, which was really fun. So good. Good times. <laughs> and I also looked at one of my favorite things was I looked at a map of the 1880s and a pinpointed on the map the different seances and the addresses to see if there was a pattern that emerged, which was really, really fun. And did a pattern emerge? Yes. So I had a theory that there was only seances in the rich upper class, middle upper class areas, and I was correct because they just did not want anything to do with the lower class. And if the lower class did go to a seance, they always went to places that cost money. The upper class didn't want them in their homes, obviously, because they were lower class. And I mean, unfortunately, but that is the way it was back then. So you said your your thesis basically takes you through what it would be like to go to a seance. So can you kind of walk us through that? Okay, so the there's one specific chapter that's about the beginnings and ends of the seance. So the very first thing I did was I picked a specific woman that did seances all the time in her home. She only hosted seances. Her name was Catherine Berry, and she was an upper-class woman in the area near Hyde Park, so you know that she had money. And she basically trained lower-class mediums to become higher up and train, and she would tutor them to become mediums and do the spirit cabinets and things like that, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But so that's who I started with was starting with one specific woman and see how she did it. So I looked at what would an upper class woman do to host a dinner party that included a seance in it. So I went with the typical invitation, how would an invitation go and what would their response be? And then if they were visiting from out of town, how would they go? If they were going to visit, would they stay with her? Would they go to a hotel? And then I went with what would they would wear. And then when they got there, what would if they served dinner, what would they eat? If they didn't serve dinner, would they go straight to the seance room? If she was an upper-class woman, she had her own seance room. And Upper-class women had their own specific room for a seance that showed not only that they had money, but a seance room, it's a room only for seances, which just proves that they have money because it's the only thing they do with it, right? That's the only thing that they do is one day a week maybe use this room so it shows that they have class, right? So that was with Catherine Berry. She had a seance room, so... I had two seances with her. One was she went straight to the seance room, and another one was they had dinner first and then went to the seance room. So I talked about what kind of dinner that they would serve, and then the seance, I picked one that was just really interesting seance, and then talked about what happened after they left, the the thank you notes or if they visited afterwards and what they would have wore to visit. Oh, interesting. Interesting. 
So have you been to a seance room? Have you gotten to like go into one of those historic houses and like see the seance room? Oh, I, I wish. I really want to go to Lilydale. I just didn't get to because of COVID times, you know, but I really want to go to a seance one day. Yeah, I'd like to see one. So for our listeners who might not know what Lilydale is, can you tell us? Oh, so it was a town created by mediums. It's in New York, um, and it's still the largest community of mediums in the United States. I don't know if it's the world, but it is in the United States, and I've always wanted to go there. (laughs) And it's like still one to this day, correct? Yes, only if you are a medium, you're allowed to live there. If not, you you can't live there. Now that is some strict and perhaps strange rules for homeowners associations. <laughs> you must be a medium to live. There. Yeah, they test you and everything. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the test involves? I don't. That's a good question. We should find out. We should. Yeah. That would be very interesting. Maybe we can get them on the podcast. <laughs> we should. That would be really cool. So what would a person who was going to this seance experience once the seance began? So the medium is the one who's trying to contact the spirit. Mm-hmm. How would they do that? And what, if, if they were successful, what would the participant kind of witness? So there's many different ways that a medium would contact a spirit. Um, and it depended on the decade uh, according to what kind of way that they would conjure them. So the way that I was looking at in my thesis, the most popular during that time was the spirit cabinet that we were talking about a little bit earlier. So believe it or not, the spirit cabinet was the medium would go into a cabinet and would go pitch black. And all of a sudden, a spirit would emerge out of the cabinet. It was not the medium. The medium was still in the cabinet. And a spirit would come out of the cabinet and talk to the the sitters and touch them and kiss them and hold them and let them feel them. And yeah, it was very, very interesting. That's why I like domestic seances. They're, they're, they got a little bit of intrigue in them. Because we think of the Victorians and mm-hmm. being all so prim and proper, but there was definitely a more scandalous and rebellious side to the Victorians as well. Right. right. There's a little bit of risque, oh my, yeah. in the little seances they have there. There's there's a kissing on the cheek or or there's a woman who sat on a man's lap. Oh my. Mm. <laughs> the scandal. I know. <laughs> but then when they came out of a seance, everything went back to manners and etiquette and it was absolutely the exact way it's supposed to be. So it's not a scandal if it happens in the seance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an all rules off. It wouldn't lead to bad reputation. Right. It was the spirit that made them do these things. Oh, so if you blame the spirit. Yes. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Now, would the spirit that came out of the cabinet be dressed or look a certain way to distinguish itself from the medium? Sometimes. So there's one man who was very famous during the period. His name was William Eglinton, and he would dress as an Indian man from the country India, and he would dress as the spirit Abdullah, and he would paint his face all in this cabinet during this time. He would paint his face and wear a turban and wear white robes, and he would come out as the spirit Abdullah. Or there was a woman, her name Georgiana Houghton, and she would come out as the spirit of an, a Native American girl and uh, sprout flowers everywhere. Just flowers would magically appear. I have no idea how she pulled that one off, but 
she, she would dress as a Native American woman. So they did wear certain clothes, and sometimes they didn't. It just depended on the medium and who they were appealing to. Now, when I think of a seance, usually I think about a group of people who all know they, they have a common deceased person that they know, and they're sitting around trying to contact that person. Mm-hmm. So here it sounds like they are just contacting a spirit, like a just general spirit. So how did that work? Were they trying to contact a certain spirit? Were they just trying to contact a spirit? So it really depended on the type of seance they were going for. These seances that I was looking into were kind of like, I was looking at London seances and they were kind of like clicks. Like they were buddy-buddy. Every week they came to the same seance and sat in the same same seat and hung out with the same people and they would conjure the same spirits. So it was kind of like this ritual type thing. But then there were some people who would spend all the money they had to bring a medium to their home to talk to their dead wife or something. It just depended on who was trying to contact who. Interesting. So some, it sounds a little bit more like a social club right? for some people. Yeah. Some of them had names for their circles. Yeah, like there was a Hafed circle. They were a specific circle. It was like the you can't sit with us kind of circle <laughs> with only these upper class people that no one else could join kind of thing. There were a couple of those in London. And then on the flip side of that, there's also the people who are, I just want to talk to my dead wife again, mm-hmm. trying to contact that person, which I assume would be a smaller seance, just like a one-time thing. Yeah, it's it seems like... From my research that once they contacted them, it was maybe a one or two time thing. And then they wanted to see more. They wanted more spectacle. They wanted more production. So it stopped being more about contacting their loved ones than contacting Queen Elizabeth or Henry VIII, believe it or not. They actually contacted him many times. Contacting Prince Albert. They contacted Prince Albert many times to ask if he was okay now that he had passed away. So there was many famous people that they also contacted. Interesting. Yeah. They just really wanted to check on Prince Albert. Yes. They were really concerned about Prince Albert for a while there. Interesting. Did Queen Victoria ever try to contact Prince Albert, her beloved husband? Yes. There is, there is a fact, I don't know the specific newspaper, but there is where she did try to contact many times Prince Albert in seances. I don't know which medium it was, but it is uh, something that she talked about in her diaries. Ooh. So did she feel, did, was she a believer in the seances? I'm not sure, because she doesn't say in her diary. She just said that she tried the seance, just like um, Abraham Lincoln did too. Mm-hmm. Was it Abraham Lincoln or Mary Todd trying to contact Abraham Lincoln? Oh, Mary Todd Lincoln and Abraham Lincoln were trying to contact their son that passed away. Oh, interesting. Because I, I had heard Mary Todd had tried to do it after Lincoln's assassination, trying to contact him and, of course, like some of their other sons. I'm sure she that. did that, too. I didn't know that they had done one, like, together, trying to contact. I know she did with the spirit photography, too. Mm-hmm. If you, The most famous spirit photography photo is her with Abraham Lincoln. So what is, again, for our listeners who might not know, spirit photography? 
Because there's like a whole thing of uh, the occult and spiritualism that is goes with seance, but is not right. exactly part of the seance. Yeah, so spirit photography is when someone takes a photo and then behind someone or next to someone is their loved one in the photo, which is the spirit, which if anyone knows, spirit photography is just a double exposure. It's a photo on top of a photo. So they were ex the original person that created spirit photography was exposed a couple of years after he was he founded spirit photography. But they just kept going with it. Even a few years later, London started doing it, and they still kept doing it even though he was exposed as a fraud. So people just thought it was a fun thing to do. I guess so. They just kept doing it. They kept believing in it. I think they still kept believing in it till the 1920s. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. And seeing some of those spirit photographies is also very interesting. I guess it's a new technology. People might not completely understand how that works, or they just really wanted to believe that it was true. Yeah. One of the things with the Industrial Revolution is how much people wanted to believe in the occult and the spirits in the spirit world. So I think that was a side effect of the Industrial Revolution was the spirit photography. And would the seances go along with that as well? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they would be doing seances and taking photos at the same time. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. So very much a very, very much just an interest in the occult in general. But the occult at this time, you were telling me, wasn't it's not scary. Like when we think of occult today, we kind of think of like horror movies and right. like demon possession and things like that. But at this point, you were saying it's actually very much centered in religion. When it, when it deals with spiritualism, it definitely was. And seances always started with a prayer. They always said Lord's Prayer. A lot of seances, they talked to God. Some of them even formed communion during their seances, which was really interesting. Or there was one seance I read where she got permission from God to perform Eucharist. Yeah, it was very interesting. So in your research, did you find when seances went into a decline, when they stopped becoming popular? Yeah, so I know seances overall went into a decline with the rise of technology, but in the 1800s, the, the decline went when the Society for Psychical Research started. Um, it was a spiritual society that wanted to find actual scientific proof that spirits existed. Um, and from there, they started going to seances to find proof. They weren't trying to debunk people, but they were trying to see if it was real. And from there, it kind of like snowballed into this, um, I don't think this is real, guys. And it just kept going and just kept going and um, went downhill from there. So at what point was that about? Uh, decade-wise. Yeah, it started in 1883 was the Society for Psychical Research, and that actually started in London. So so would you say seances were kind of like in their height in the 1870s where you focused your research? Yeah, in my opinion, seances were most popular in London in the 1870s. That's in my research, there were more seances then than any other time period. Um, and then in the 1880s, it just poof, kind of disappeared so I think, in my opinion, that's the reason why it just disappeared, was they didn't want to reveal where their seances were. In the 70s, they wanted to talk about it everywhere. They, they gave their street addresses. They gave where 
the boroughs they lived in, everything. But in the 80s, they didn't say anything. They wouldn't even reveal their names in a seance. So I think it was more hush-hush because they didn't want the society to come to their seances. <laughs> it was more of a secret. So overall, in general, what do you think the legacy of the Victorian seance is? Oh, gosh. <laughs> The domestic one specifically, since that is what your research focused on. I'm sure there's a different legacy kind of for the public one versus the domestic one. Well, one of the things that my thesis focused on was how the seance focused on community, how, you know, it got very cliquish, how it was all upper class doing it. So I think one of the things that the seance focused on was community. And if you look at the occult today and you look at all these ghost hunter shows and all of these things, they all still focus on community. It's all about creating this lasting bond, I guess you would say, with contacting the spirit world. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for sharing your research. It was incredibly fascinating to get to watch you put together your thesis and also then get to talk to you about it today. So congratulations again. Thank you. And thank you for helping me. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps other people discover the show. There are a few great ways to support the History Center. Make a donation online by clicking the Donate button on our website at www.negahc.org. Become a digital member to receive exclusive invites to members-only live streams every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can register on our membership page at www.negahc.org. We also have an online gift shop with lots of great items for all ages. Use promo code THENAGAIN for 15% off your online order. Valid on anything except memberships and handmade items. We'll see you next week for another episode of Then Again. Thanks, y'all.